Acts chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 17, and then we will intercept the conclusion of that chapter at verses 42 through 47. This is God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mock, mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our nation was united and in some way empowered by the great wind sails on the Conestaga wagons sailing across the prairies of Kansas and Nebraska. The winds on the Midwestern prairies filling up the sails and moving the people along from New England and from Charleston. They converged as they went across Missouri and then crossing over, making their way to California. The country became united from the Atlantic to the Pacific through those powerful winds. Power, unity is necessary for movement, for advancement and success. This past week, we saw in both of our political parties that there's been a great attempt to move towards unity, gathering the various factions and constituencies of both political parties to think about unity and so that they might galvanize and move forward. That's important uh, for our sports teams, uh, unity and powers and Important for going forward in communities. And of course the stakes get much higher when you're talking about unity in order to go forward for families. And as I know very well from those who come to see me and those whom I have counseled through the years, it's, it's absolutely essential for marriages, unity, and being empowered by, by a power from on high filling the sails with a wind, if you will. Well, that's really what Pentecost is all about. It was the promised power 
from Acts 1, 8 of Jesus to his disciples that they would receive power and in that power there would become unity not only among the disciples but among the disciples of the world. And what happened at Pentecost in the sign of the tongues was a reversal of the Tower of Babel curse. At the Tower of Babel, where man figuratively shook his fist at God, God cursed man's uppity, upstart, insolent ways by dispersing man with language. That story is not only real, but is, is symbolic still for the division that we see in the world. But at Pentecost, it is a reversal where we read, and you heard in the reading how there were Jews gathered because of Pentecost. They had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival from the towns are not haphazard. The, the geographic places are not haphazard, but they are north, south, east, west. In other words, they are representing a universal uh, people who are there and they are now able to communicate and it is representing the universality of the gospel, the universality of the Christian faith through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So there is an empowering as well as a unity in order to fulfill the mission of God in the world. And before the last disciple would die, and the last disciple to die was John, uh, who pastored the mother of Jesus, Mary, at Ephesus, before the last disciple would die, the gospel had in fact gone to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the known earth. Uh, from Mark in, uh, in Egypt to Thomas uh, in India, my wife and I have stood at the very place where Thomas is uh, reported to have been martyred in uh, uh, old Madras, India. And when we read in the scriptures what happened as a consequence of that in verses 42 and following, the, the ordinary thing that we think about is, well, they, when Peter preached, as those who had preached afterwards, repent and believe, be baptized and you shall be saved, and uh, to follow with Paul in Acts 16.31, you and your household, as this gospel, as the Great Commission is being fulfilled, even as the same message is being preached today uh, by this church and through this church cooperatively and uh, in fellowship with other churches in the Presbyterian Church in America all over the world and other denominations throughout the beautiful mosaic of the body of Christ in other parts of the 
Protestant church in, in all of the fullness of the, uh, the other branches of the church. That message goes forward. But then they gathered in 42 and following and they begin to, to live this out in, in, in the parish, if you will, in, in the context of a smaller local church, the ordinary way that the believer is fed and nourished. And we begin to see that Ordinarily, the consequence, and we ordinarily think that the, the consequence of Pentecost is then uh, apostolic teaching. And it certainly is that. A fellowship and worship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see the article in front of uh, prayers, the prayers. It is speaking of the the, the set of prayers, the prayer is speaking of the Psalms, it's speaking of, of the, the fragments already, the, the fragments of writing of, of Paul, of the fragments of letters that were being circulated, the prayers, the liturgical body of prayers that were already being preserved and, and circulated for the church to pray as they did in the synagogue. But there was something else. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Yes. And then this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What we see so beautifully here is that Pentecost brought about the spirit of giving. And I intentionally use the, word, the phrase spirit of giving because this is the activity of the Holy Spirit now upon the church which brings about a, a, a new way of giving. Not an order of you give a tithe, you give this much, you give that. No, now the Holy Spirit breathes upon the church in such a way as, as the church responds with the spirit of giving. The spirit of giving then becomes the supernatural response of a believer that empowers Christian living and advances the Great Commission. Now we're going to look in this passage and, and ask ourselves, well, how is this so? With three ways. First of all is the spirit of giving 
is seen in this passage through what we might call generous living. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. A a friend of mine, Hugh O. McClellan, of the McClellan family in Chattanooga, Tennessee, part of the Provident Insurance Company uh, family, uh, has a wonderful ministry, a foundation that he started called Generous Giving. And I think that they're a premier ministry for resources for Christians and churches and organizations to think about stewardship. But I think generous giving is a subdivision here of generous living. Generous living is a comprehensive way of understanding all of life as a result of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of clinging to things, uh, generous living causes one to release things. Instead of uh, acquiring in order to hold, generous living might acquire in order to share. It's the kind of attitude that the old Methodist founder John Wesley had when he said, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give away as much as you can. We've got to be careful in this passage because there's there's a possibility we we could trip over our 21st century perspective. And we might say, when we read, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And we might say, well, well now this sounds a whole lot like socialism. Or is that, is that what, is this sort of a first century attempt at communism and it didn't really work? No, no, it's not that at all. This is more like Francis and Edith Schaefer in the 1960s going to Labrie in Switzerland and and opening a youth hostel and saying, everyone come with your questions, the youth of the 1960s. And, And you come and you work the grounds and the kitchens in the day and then in the evening come by the fireside and and share with what you've worked and we'll we'll be able to eat together and share that and then I'll mentor you in the Bible. Or or it may be the Jesuits or, or it could be the Franciscans or a YWAM mission team or Church of the Redeemer pooling her resources in order to care for those who are in need in her church or in this community. No, it it sounds more like the Christian church operating on full power. Not forcing anyone, but freely 
out of generous living because of the Holy Spirit operating, releasing to any who have need. This is a new way of living brought about by a Pentecost power from on high. The spirit of giving brings about not only a generous living, but a generous worship. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness, or food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Not only generous living, but generous worship, lavish worship. Now, to be sure, their, their worship was a, a worship modeled, as I say, after the, the temple synagogue pattern. And they were going to the temple, and they were going into their homes, and it had a Eucharistic, sacramental feel to it. But it had a gladness to it, and a joy to it. And not only that, their worship was so infectious. Not, not, it it had, had nothing to do with the style. It had to do with the, the worship that was... It had to do with the spontaneous doxological combustion that was happening inside of the souls of the worshipers. And it says, they found favor with everyone. And that meant people began to, to, to say, well, I think I want to, to go. Now, no doubt when others came, they said, well, particularly Gentiles, well, where, 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 is the, where is the altar to the deities? Where is the deity? You know, it was all strange. There was no cultural bridges being built to the pagans. You know what was being built to the pagans? Broken hearts that were being filled with the joy of the Lord. Now that they could understand. Because as Leslie Newbigin, the famous bishop of South India, who later left his... Bishop's position went back to post-World War II industrialized Britain, went into the inner city and became a church planter in his 60s. He said, the greatest apologetic of the Christian faith in a post-modern, post-Christian world, he was writing in the, 50, in the 40s and 50s, the greatest apologetic in a post-Christian Society is a congregation in love with God. Generous worship. And all of this from the spirit of giving. 
a spontaneous, converted spirit that has been touched from on high that no longer holds but releases, releases in living, releases in worship. And what does this bring? It says in verse 47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did the early church go from being a Jewish sect to overtaking the mightiest empire in the world to where the leader of the empire, Constantine himself, would declare himself Christian lest he would become out and out with the majority of his people who were becoming Christian. The Holy Spirit came down upon humble Christians who were told by Jesus, wait, wait and pray. And he came. And when he came, it was like, it wasn't a wind. It didn't say that. It says it was like a, a mighty wind. And yes, there were miraculous signs demonstrated. And when that happened, a consequence followed. The consequence of apostolic teaching, loving fellowship, a beautiful worship, but also mighty signs, but also the spirit of giving. Spirit of giving that produced generous living in Christians, generous worship in their local assemblies that created growth in the local church. Now, You see, when when we give, then we mustn't think, oh, when I give, though it's so, these are grand themes. But when I give, I know it's going to pay for, it's paying for the electricity in the school auditorium at Sun Valley. Yes, but the auditorium at Sun Valley is where a seven-year-old little girl not too long ago came with her parents and heard a word from the Lord through a Bible message that touched her heart. And the Holy Spirit in Pentecost-like power came to the seven-year-old little girl like a mighty rushing wind upon her beating little heart and her little spirit welcomed the same spirit of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And she will never be the same in the generations after her. Her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren 
will all be gathered together when Christ comes again, Lord willing, if they follow their mother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother all together in the air. Yes, you're just paying for the electricity. Or, or are you? And the other, you see, the other real question is, while Pentecost is a historical one-time event, it's not going to be repeated exactly like that because it had a particular purpose to fill and empower the church to begin a centrifugal, worldwide, multi-transgenerational ministry that continues to today and, and we're all swept up in it. Nevertheless, there are microbursts that break out and will continue to do so. Yes, and maybe a great revival is yet to come in some believe that and I uh, I may be one of those before Jesus comes again but this to be sure there are microbursts of the Holy Spirit and I was caught up into one myself not only into salvation but where he comes upon you and empowers you for a specific ministry and before my wife and I came in here this morning, she prayed for me in our car in the parking lot for Pentecost power today. Not, not like a mighty wind, but Lord, if you could, I just want a microburst so that the people will know you're here and that I can communicate the supernatural word from another world to these dear people. And some of you need that today for Christian living and to bear witness to the risen Jesus Christ around the world, yes, God still calls missionaries, and there may be some being called here. God's still in the business of calling preachers. I'm going to need to be replaced sooner than later, probably. God's calling some of you, though, to, to be empowered to just cross the living room to share the gospel. Wait and pray. Because he promised. And he will come. Let's pray. Oh Lord God. Of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Oh mighty. King. Preached by Saint Peter and St. Paul, O oh, mighty Jehovah, witnessed to 
the early church and empire by Polycarp and Augustine, proclaimed by Wycliffe, taught by Luther and Calvin, proclaimed by Whitfield and Wesley and countless nameless men and women throughout two millennia send your Holy Spirit today and anoint us with the spirit of giving that we may live generously worship generously and that your church may grow spiritually. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.